You're listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Northwest, including our gathering time, visit us at nwcbc.org. Today's speaker will be Pastor Terry Wong. We're going to talk about the book of Isaiah. Let's go to our next slide. You know, I just put a couple of things on the screen, things that we are dealing with today, problems that surround us on every side. You know, we have the pandemic still going on. We have violent crime and unrest in the streets and in the governments and in our, even our homes. Other nations want our destruction or they want our submission and surrender. So there's constant pressures, a lot of things to worry about and to fear. And this is the same feeling the people of Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel, it's the same feeling they had in 700 B.C. It was a time of moral and spiritual decline. A great army uh, waited outside the walls of Judah to overtake the city. It was a time that, it was during this time of fear and uncertainty that God sent a messenger, a prophet named Isaiah. You know, I was reading in my daily devotion last year for a couple of weeks that the focal verses were Isaiah. And every time I read the verses and read the devotion, it, it reminded me how powerful Isaiah was, how meaningful it was. And so Whenever God touches me in that way, that means God wants me to do something with it. So uh, I put it in the schedule that we will talk and preach on Isaiah. So for the, the summer, we're just going to study a couple of the key passages, my favorite passages in Isaiah, and see what it says. So, hey, let's start with verse 1, <clears throat> Isaiah 1.1. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city of Judah that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. <clears throat> Excuse me. The author of the book is clearly named Isaiah, the son of Amos. Uh, this is what the name Isaiah means. Isaiah means Yahweh is Lord, or God, Yahweh is salvation. It is a perfect name for this prophet because that was his message. Yahweh is salvation. Now, Yahweh, or Jehovah, is the formal name of God that the Hebrew people used uh, when they referred uh, to the Lord. <clears throat> we don't see Yahweh in the Old Testament, but whenever you see the Lord in caps, or little caps, small caps, in the Old Testament, that is Yahweh. That's what the translation is. And so Isaiah served the Lord around 700 B.C., he served four different kings. They were all descendants of King David. Some were good kings, some were bad kings. And he probably resided in Jerusalem, had access to the royal court, and he probably ministered about 58 years, a long span of time for a prophet. During these years, it was a time of great struggle. The people were disobedient. They rebelled against God. <clears throat> so God allowed different armies to occupy Israel. Uh, if you look at this slide, Israel is divided, divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, where it made up ten tribes. The southern kingdom included Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. The northern kingdom of Israel deteriorated politically, morally, and spiritually, and finally fell to the Syrian army in 722 B.C. So the northern kingdom, today when you hear about the lost tribes of Israel, that's the northern kingdom. Those ten tribes, we don't know where they are. On the other hand, the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin looked as if it would collapse to Assyria 
also, but God spared them. Isaiah took a message to the king and said they would be spared. And the message, the reason they did this was God was telling them, reminding them that they should put their faith in God. They should trust the God of Moses, the God of David, and the promises that were contained in there. Isaiah warned them not to go to Egypt or other foreign countries to form alliances. Just trust in God. Well, we know the rest of the story. They did not trust in God. And so Babylon came and conquered the land of Judah and exiled just about everybody from Israel, moved them to Babylon in about 586 B.C. And this is, this is that journey that the nation went through because of their disobedience. Now, when you look in your Bible, Isaiah is the first of the prophets, 17 prophets, to be listed. And not because it's the oldest book. It is not the oldest book, but probably because it was the most comprehensive and uh, meaningful. The first thing you need to know about prophets of the Old Testament is that their ministry focused on the present as well as the future. They tell forth the word of God. They preach the word of God, but they also foretell the works of God. What is happening now? What will happen? In fact, a true prophet is like a good doctor. They diagnose the case, they prescribe a remedy, and they warn the patient that if you don't do this, you're going to suffer the consequences. This is Isaiah's message. This is God. This, here's your problem. You got problem with sin. Here's a consequence. If you don't change your ways, you don't get healthy spiritually, you will be conquered, you will be defeated, you'll be drag, dragged away in chains. If we ignore the prescription, we suffer the consequences. When prophets declare a vision about the future, they do it to encourage the people to trust and obey God. Not just to trust and obey, but for a better life and a better future. So we love the book of Isaiah because it has great history, amazing prophecies, great wisdom. But I think the reason we love the book of Isaiah so much is because of this first point. The first point says this, Isaiah is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is a connection that takes the Old Testament into the New Testament. Uh, chapters 1 through 39 warn of the coming judgment of God and the exile. Judah, Israel, and all the surrounding nations were judged and condemned by God for being sinners and that they would suffer the consequences of their sin. But when you go to chapters 40 to 66, they were written as if the exile had already happened and that they returned to the promised land. And in these chapters, it gives the hope of the coming Messiah who will come and restore our lives. And so the two overarching uh, prophecies of Isaiah are, are on this screen now. The promised land would be lost. The temple, the land, everything would be destroyed. On the other hand, the second prophecy was the promised Messiah would come. It's interesting that in the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament quoted Isaiah over and over again. In fact, they named Isaiah 22 times. That's why, how do we know the Old Testament is from God because the New Testament writers quoted the Old Testament, including Isaiah. Isaiah links the Old Testament covenant, Mosaic covenant, with the New Testament covenant of grace we find in Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus Christ confirmed this um, when he went to his hometown of Nazareth and taught in a synagogue. So let's go to Luke 4.16. Jesus, he went to Nazareth, 
where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up and read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. So it is a Lord's custom. It's a very important point here. It was a Lord's custom to attend public worship. Jesus worshiped with other believers. It was a custom his followers should practice today. We, as believers today, we must practice public worship. Yeah, Jesus had private worship. He had quiet times every day, every morning, but he participated in public worship. The biggest mistake you can make as a Christian is to stop worshiping, worshiping publicly. I appreciate all of you who are here in person, all you who are online, but we need to worship together. And it's interesting because Jesus had a lot of issues with the religious leaders of that time, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He criticized them. And today people tell me, well, I'm, I'm not going to go to church anymore because you're all hypocrites or, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Jesus, it did not stop Jesus from worshiping the Lord. When we come today, we worship the Lord. My prayer is that by the end of the summer, we will worship together in the sanctuary when it is done. And I can see you face to face. I was reading a scripture the other day about Paul says, I long to see you. And just watching the video of all the kids, I'm like, who are these kids? <laughs> it's been like a year or two, and I don't, they've grown so much, and they've grown a foot. Uh, I want to see everybody. I want to worship face to face. So anyways, Jesus goes to his hometown in Nazareth. He goes to worship on the Sabbath in the synagogue, and visiting rabbis would be asked to read scripture. They would be asked to teach. The custom was that when they were handed the scripture, they would stand and they would read the scripture. And then when it was time to teach, they would sit in the seat of Moses and teach. And Jesus was handed the scroll or the book of Isaiah, and it was read, and he chose a passage from Isaiah 61, 1 to 2. And so let's look at verse 18. This is from Isaiah, but Jesus reading in the book of Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for all the prisoners and recover, recovery of the sight of the blind to release the oppressed, to proclaim the Lord's, the year of the Lord's favor. Every Jewish rabbi knew that this passage out of Isaiah 61 was messianic. It was a messianic prophet that this is what the Messiah would do. Every listener sitting in the synagogue would know that this prophecy was about the Messiah. Even though Isaiah wrote this 700 years before, it describes Jesus perfectly. He preached, he preached uh, the good news. He preached the good news to the poor. He proclaimed freedom. He set people free from their sins and their infirmities. He gave sight to the blind. He released the oppressed. He proclaimed the Lord's favor. It was a perfect picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone knew that when he read this passage, that it was a messianic passage. Verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I am the Messiah. Imagine how shocked they were that he would claim that he was the Messiah. This prophecy from Isaiah in the Old Testament is now fulfilled now in the New Testament. And so the message of Isaiah is that God is the God who is there, or God is a God who is here among us. 
He's working. He's watching. He's waiting for us to return to him and to repent. Where is God? He is right here with us. He's ready and waiting to bless your life. We just have to look to him. So our next thought is this. The God, and one of the messages of Isaiah is God is the judge of everyone. Uh, chapters 1 to 39, very clear that God is our creator. God is our sustainer and savior. God is the sole judge of everyone. No matter how you feel about God or whether you believe in him, in the end, you will be judged by God. His word will be final. It says that every knee will bow, whether you're an atheist or agnostic, you will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. So Isaiah 1-2, hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey knows his owner's manger, uh, but the Israel does not know, my people do not understand, ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord, they have spurned the Holy One of Israel, and turned their backs on Him. This is God's condemnation and judgment of Israel. God created us. God raised us up. God blessed our lives. And instead of being grateful and loving and trusting, instead of loving him, we rejected and rebelled against God. See, everything that the nation of Israel, whether you're the northern kingdom or southern kingdom, every sin they committed, we commit today when we disobey God. And we know that our sins have separated us from God. Our sins are the source of all our pain and problems. When I counsel people and they come to me and they're having conflict at home, they're having conflict with them themselves, they're not happy at work, they're fighting with their spouse or their kids, they come to me and they want to tell me their pain and problems and I will listen. I'm a very good listener. I will listen to you. And they want to tell me their pain and problems and then they want to tell me who they think are the cause of their pain and problems. All right? I, as a pastor, know that I, the truth I want to discover and I want them to discover is what is the sin that they are committing. That sin that is causing and triggering their behavior or provoking the behavior of others, I want to know what sin is causing their pain and problems. Because only their, until their sin is dealt with, that problem will not go away. And so it's interesting in this passage that God says, man, I made you and I, I loved you and you don't even know me. You don't understand me. And he talks about, and he goes to talking about farm animals. And he says, the ox and the donkey know, know its master. The ox knows who feeds it and obeys. The donkey is, in the Bible, the donkey is known for its stupidity. But even the stupid donkey knows his master and obeys. So what is God calling us? Stupid, you know? Just, just be honest. We're stupid and we're stubborn. But the people did not know God. And because they did not know God, they did not understand God. Sometimes when I share the gospel with people, they just look at me on the blank stare like, what are, you, what are you talking about? They don't know God. They don't understand God. They're only hurting themselves by being sinful, stubborn, and stupid. And so in this passage, it says, ah, sinful nation in verse 4. You're a sinful nation. Is the United States of America a sinful nation? I, I have to agree. That means that everybody from the king to the beggar in the street is sinning against God. Doesn't that sound like our nation today? Now look at this headline. 
I read this headline a couple of weeks ago and I saved it. 43% of millennials don't know, don't care, don't believe God exists. 43%. What kind of kids are coming up here? They don't know, they don't care, they don't believe. I mean, that's a pretty good rejection of Jesus. It says in the passage also, they were loaded down with guilt. They know they're doing something wrong. They know they're guilty before God. They carry this burden. So when you see, think of something loaded down with guilt, you think of an animal like a donkey overwhelmed with a burden on its back. It's just hard to move, and, and they're struggling in life. And our world is full of guilt. We need drugs and alcohol. We need counselors to handle the guilt when what we really need is to be set free through Jesus. They're a brood of evildoers. That means they're breeding more and more evil and corruption. And so God says, because of your sins, uh, can we go backwards to that other verse, Andrew? Uh, verse uh, 4, the second half, verse 4, because of their sins, they have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel. They turn their backs on God. Those are harsh and hateful words towards the Lord. Why did God judge them? Because they sinned against God. So in Isaiah uh, chapter 1 to 39, God judges their sins, condemns their actions. He pronounces judgment on Judah and Israel and Jerusalem and Assyria and Babylon and Moab and Cush and all the surrounding lands. He judges and condemns them because God is the only one who can judge us. Now, why is that? Why is God the only one? If we go to our next thought, it's because God is the Holy One. God is the Holy One. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel. They turn their backs on Him. God is called the Holy One 30 times in the book of Isaiah. In chapter 6 of Isaiah, which we will study in the future, Isaiah describes heavenly beings flying around in heaven saying what? What are they singing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Guess what? God is holy. God is holy. And we don't emphasize the holiness of God today. I mean, that's my fault. That's your fault. We emphasize God's love, God's forgiveness, which is true. But we need to emphasize God's holiness because God's holiness exposes our sin. And when we don't realize how holy God is, when we don't become holy, we remain in our pain and our problems. See, God is the one. He is the Holy One. He is the only one. He's the only God. He's the only one that matters in the end. So God is holy. On the other hand, God is the one. So let's look at Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. God is the only one. He's the only one that deserves our worship. For a better life and a better future, love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. The message of the Old Testament and New Testament Peter is be holy for I am holy. God wants you to be holy. Which leads us to the, the real problem, God's holiness. And then our next thought is this. The real problem we have even today is idol worship. Isaiah had a lot to say about idols. He mentions them 29 times. The people had spurned God, forsaken God, turned 
to idols. And since Isaiah talks about idols 29 times, <clears throat> and he talks about God's holiness 39, 30 times, what's the conflict? Idol worship, God's holiness. That's the problem. God's holiness and our sin are in complete conflict. Instead of worshiping God, the people worshiped all sorts of idols. Remember the first idol they worshiped? Let's go to the next slide. Uh, remember Moses and the golden calf. When Moses disappeared for 40 days, the people got impatient. They made a golden calf to worship. Why do you make your own idol? Because we're, that way you can say, well, I'm not choosing my own life. I've got to make an idol and let it tell me. But we're making the idol ourselves, so we're really telling ourselves how to live. And so they worship the golden calf, and, you know, they finally stopped worshiping the golden calf. They moved in the promised land. But then they started worshiping these gods, the Canaanite gods of Asherus and Baal and the Amorite god of Molech. These were the gods that the people who were in the land worshipped. They even sacrificed their children, their very own children, to these gods. How repulsive. How sad. You know, do we sacrifice our children today? Yeah. I mean, it's called abortion, right? We give up. We give up too easy on people. We give up on people and sacrifice them. The ultimate slap in the face towards God is when you reject him and you turn and you worship an idol. Idols are man-made. They're either cut from stone or they're shaped out of wood or they're cast out of metal into a form of an idol. And a lot of times they look like humans because we make gods in our own image. You know, we're made in the image of God. We're supposed to become like God, but we as human beings make gods in our own image. You think of the Greek gods like Apollo and Zeus and the Roman gods had the same gods in their different names. But those Greek gods, they had the same frailties, passions, desires, uh, bad behavior as humans because they were made in the image of ourselves. They are man-made, man-controlled, man-defined, uh, created with that doctrine. And see, what happens is when you go through life and you don't care, you don't believe, you don't know God, there's a big old God-side hole God-sized hole in your soul. Only God can fill it. But when we don't fill it with God, we fill it with something else. Some people use drugs and alcohol. Other people, just about everybody else, makes idols. They fill it with an idol. Isaiah 44, 9. All who make idols are nothing. You make an idol, you make a God, you're nothing. The things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them and are blind, they are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a God and casts an idol which can profit him nothing? Isaiah and some of the other passages about idols talk about, well, you want to take your idol with you, you have to carry it. It can't walk on its own. It can't move on its own because you made it, so you have to carry it. So Isaiah shines a spotlight on the ways idols can kill us. Look at this uh, statement one commentator made. Worshiping <clears throat> blind, deaf, and dumb idols makes us blind, deaf, and dumb. Isn't that true? We can become stupid because we worship that which is not real. And eventually it will lead to our destruction. Now people today would say, well, we don't idol worship today. We have no statues. We don't carry idols. Though, you know, the third world, there's tons of idols. There's still tons of physical idols. We're like, well, I haven't shaped anything with, without wood or I haven't cut any stone. But we haven't changed in 2,800 years years. We still worship idols. We still have the problem. 
The idols we worship have changed over time, but idol worship is still our biggest problem. An idol is anything you give uh, your time, your energy, and your attention to other than God. So what's an idol we worship today? A lot of people, it's just possessions. You know, I want a bigger house, so I'm going to work harder and make more money and get, get a bigger house or better possessions. Maybe it's a philosophy or a way of life or a theory. <laughs> you know, we have these critical race theories and all these new ways of thinking of wokeness. I'm like, what is this? And everybody talks about it and, and advertises and pushes this thinking. Is your idol a thinking or is it a possession? Maybe you just worship yourself. Your only goal in life is to please yourself, and you are an idol worshiper. I think this is the newest idol we worship today. Look at this thing. How many of you bow your heads in worship to your idol? How many of you listen to it all the time? You look for answers. You go to your idol. How many of you let it tell you what to buy? How many of you let it tell you what to believe? Because, you know, you know, the media companies like Twitter and stuff control the voice, what news feed comes through, you know? And so I'm not saying smartphones are bad. I have a smartphone, but I want to use my smartphone for God's glory. God says that rock is not bad, that piece of wood is not bad, but when you shape it into your own image, that's when it turns bad. It's a, they call it a smartphone, but it's a dumb phone because it makes you dumb. Um, I, I have to share, one of our young men today was asking me, what do you guys do in the 70s without technology? <laughs> uh, we just sit around. No. Uh, well, you know, for fun, we, my brother and I threw rocks at each other, you know, and stuff like that. And, you know, we just, you know, ride bicycles and play, climb trees that our parents told us not to climb and, you know, all that stuff. It's a dumb phone. It can become a big idol. It's programmed by human beings to change your thinking to get you to buy something you don't need and to believe something that's not real. And so we have to be careful, okay? We just have to be careful. That's what idols do, right? They tell you what to believe and how to behave. When we get into trouble, we turn to our idols, we, we cry out, and, you know, Siri, Siri will say, well, I don't know the answer, you know? And uh, some Christian pastors were telling the, asking the phone, is God real? Is God real? I don't know the answer. That's what Siri will say. When you need an answer, it won't help you. They can't give us the answer. This is the answer. So what idol do you worship today? Is it your thinking, possessions, uh, technology? Is your idol making you blind, deaf, and dumb towards God? I mean, that's what uh, Isaiah was all about. Our next thought is this. God is the Savior of everyone. In fact, verses, chapters 40 to 66, God is the Savior. God is a judge of everyone. God is the Savior of everyone. The answer to all your pain and problems is turn to the Lord. Stop turning away from God. Turn to the Lord. All those people who don't care about God, don't believe in God, don't know God, one day they'll face a trial and trouble, and they'll turn to God. I mean, I've seen it with my own clients who are not Christians. They're telling me, well, I'm praying. Why? Because they want something. They're praying, and he wanted a grandkid. So <laughs> it was kind of funny. Anyways, stop turning away from God. Start, start turning to God. God is the God who is there, but we must meet him on his terms, not our own. 
The holy God who judges everyone can save anyone. Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. Every single one of you listening today can be saved. For I am God and there is no other. There's no others that can save you. And Isaiah, the book, is all about turning around. If you want to be saved, turn to God. Remember that turning takes confession of sin and repentance, changing the way you think and the way you behave. You get right with God. Now, I've shared before how the four characters of God are found in the first five books of the Old Testament. So God, uh, in Genesis, it says God is sovereign. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is sovereign. But when you get to, uh, um, what's the next book? Number no, Exodus. <laughs> Exodus. When you get to Exodus, God is salvation. And then we have God is holy. God is love. God is wrath. And so how do you reconcile God's holiness, which demands his wrath and punishment on sin, with God's love and his demand for our salvation? Because holiness demands a payment. The wages of sin is death. How do you reconcile God's holiness with God's love? How can he still maintain his character and yet forgive us of those sins we committed? Well, it's simple. Someone has to pay the price. The wages of sin is death. So God revealed in the book of Isaiah that there would be someone coming who would suffer and die for the sins of the world. Someone who was sinless would die a sinner's death. And that is the Messiah. That is Jesus Christ. So one of the most powerful prophecies in Isaiah 53, uh, verse 4, talking about Jesus. Look at this picture. It's a perfect picture of what Jesus went through on the cross. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. The reason Jewish people did not accept Jesus as Savior is because he died on the cross. And it says here that we considered him stricken by God, smitten by God, and afflicted. That, oh, God must have punished him. That's why we don't believe. No, yeah, God did punish him on our behalf. But he was pierced for our transgressions, pierced in the hands and side and feet. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. That's why we love the book of Isaiah. The message of Isaiah is both condemnation and comfort. The message of Isaiah is that we will all answer to God, but we can all find hope in God. And the question for you today, which message is for you? Is it condemnation or comfort? Is it we're going to answer to God or we're going to have hope in God? The message of Isaiah is a message of the Bible. It's consistent from Genesis to Revelation. We see it in this passage in Hebrews 9, 27. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will <clears throat> appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. When Christ returns to this world, will he bring judgment or salvation to you? That's the choices. That's the opportunities. And I don't care whether you know him or don't know him. You don't believe that is your choice. And so I encourage you today, friends, if you're listening, if you don't know God, if you never really thought about him before, God is a God who is here, 
right now. He wants to know you. He wants to love you. But first, he needs to forgive you of your sins. And so I encourage you today, look to God, realize that you are not perfect. You don't even know God. Confess him as Lord of your life. Follow him, trust in him, receive the salvation and eternal life that God wants to give you. Stop worshiping idols. You, th you go home today, you think about what idols have been worshiping. What do I give more time to uh, instead of God? And start worshiping God. Learn God, know God, understand God's heart. If you have troubles or trials that you're still having problems with, come and see, see me at one of the pastors. Uh, we want to help. You need more information? Let us know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God who cares. You are the God who is always there for us. Uh, you want to bless us. You want to save us. But we know we've sinned against you. We have been disobedient. We spurned you and forsaken you. We don't believe in you. We have turned to idols. But Lord, now that we know the truth, we know that you do still love us. You want us to come home, that we need to confess our sins to you, that we have sinned, and that we need to receive Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Savior, because he'll save us from our sins. Lord, because he'll show us how to know you and understand you and follow Jesus all the way to heaven. So, Father, if my brothers or sisters are, who are here today are struggling with pain and problems, let's talk. Let's talk to you. Let's talk to each other. Encourage them. Father, there's someone here listening today or online or on a recording that they realize they don't know you, Father. I pray that they will open their heart to you and believe in you. Thank you for today. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to follow us on Spotify and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcast. To listen to the other sermons and watch our live gatherings, visit us online at nwcbc.org. We look forward to see the difference God will make in your life. Thank you for listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast.